Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We will also be going to 1 John as well this morning. No greater love. The title of our message this morning. John 15. Let us remind ourselves where we are with the scriptures beginning in verse 1. As Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be made in you and that your joy may be made full. And then the scriptures for us this morning... Verse 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. O Lord, again, I ask for your help. I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. I pray, O God, that we would get a great understanding of your text for the glory of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I need you, Lord. I need you this moment, at this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we think of that word, we think of friendship. That can mean many things today. It can be a superficial type of thing. Or it can be a true friend. Or, of course, we see... Jesus as the friend of sinners. 
James Boyce had something to say about this, and I read that by way of introduction before I go to an article that I found interesting last evening. He says this, There is something charming about the word friend or friendship. It is due partly to our desire for a close friend or friends, and partly, too, to our remembrance of them. We look to our past and can almost mark the major periods of our lives by friends we have had. We think of the friends who we went to grade school with and the things we did with them. Perhaps at the point of going into high school, we made different friends. And we think sometimes not only of our friends, but the adventures we had, sometimes adventures that teachers or other authorities did not entirely appreciate. I'm sure no one in here can relate to anything like that. We have had college friends and those that we have acquired later in life. We value friendship and know that we would be much impoverished if we had no friends at all. It is this awareness that probably gives the verses which we now come to, it gives them a special appeal. For in them the Lord Jesus Christ, the great incarnate God of the universe, speaks of friendship in terms of our relationship to Him. He calls us friends, saying, Greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. When Jesus says, you are my friends, it is evident that he is speaking to us on a human level in terms we can clearly understand. And he is doing so that we cannot fail to see it, so that we might contrast his friendship, which is great and perfect, to even the best of the other friendships we have known. Indeed, that is the case. And then as I was... Briefly looking at the news last night, I came across an article that piqued my interest from the New York Post. I don't know the title of it, but I believe it says the neighbors raised 37000 for a bullied boy who knocked on the door looking for friends. Neighbors have helped raise that much for a bullied Texas boy who went viral after a heart-wrenching video showed him knocking on their door and asking if they knew any kids his age because he needed some friends really bad, he said. In the clip, seen by more than 61 million times on TikTok, in just three days, Shaden Walker, wearing a Jaws t-shirt, shuffles nervously in the front steps of his neighbor's home in Amarillo, Texas. What's up, man? answers Brennan Ray, who posted the video from his doorbell camera. The boy says, hi, I just wanted to see if you knew any kids around, like 11 or 12 years old, because I need some friends, like really bad. Walker says, looking at the ground. Ray points to the boy, the boy toward a house across the street where a few kids live. The boy responds, well, um, they are not my friends anymore because they're bullies to me. Walker says. Sad story. Boy just wanted some friends. Indeed, that a story like that for a young boy would never be the case in a local church. Would never be the case 
amongst us. There would be someone or a family who could say, I really have no friends there. It's true in the world. It should never be true of Christians. First and foremost, sacrificial love. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, says the Lord. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Jesus gives his followers a command to love one another. It's not a suggestion. It is a present active verb, ongoing love for one another. Keep on loving one another. In order to follow Jesus' instructions, His instructions here to love one another continually, one must first be abiding in Him. As we have studied and we have looked at, it has been repeated over and over, to remain in Jesus Christ, to be in Jesus Christ, to have that union with Jesus Christ before we can even consider loving as we ought to love. Jesus is repeating what He taught in chapter 13, verse 34 at the Last Supper. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. There's a repetition here. We're seeing repetition over and over about love and about abiding. When we hear this repetition of loving one another, does that irritate us? Does that irritate our flesh? We don't love one another as we should if we get irritated by that, so we need reminders, don't we? Even if we're thinking in our seat now, I'm a pretty good lover of the brethren. We need reminders. Friendship. Because of God's love towards us, we are to love one another. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Love prays for one another. Love sticks close when things are hard in a friend's life and a brother or sister in Christ. When you say, I know who I can call, whether it be a a he or a she, a man or a woman, love gives and receives, right? These friendships ought to be a two-way street as well for a Christian. Oftentimes, someone will begin to never reach out to anyone, and everyone has always reached out to them time and time again, but they never will, and then they complain when people stop reaching out to them, but they never would respond. We've all known situations like that before. It's a two-way street. Love also has tight lips, does it not? This sacrificial love. How has he loved his followers? Well, verse 13 explains. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. This sacrificial love, our first point. A sacrificial love of dying for others. And we'll see specifically 
for whom Christ died for. We have countless memorials that are still standing in our country, by the way, for men and women or soldiers who died in war or who did some great things for humanity, died saving others, died for their nation. We also know of accounts where someone would die in the process of saving a child or a policeman or a fireman who would go in and die in the line of duty rescuing others. We honor them, we, we celebrate them as we should and remember them and put a memorial up for them to remember the heroic acts that they did. Absolutely. Yet the sacrificial death of Christ is quite different, is it not? First, He came to this earth specifically to die for sinners. Specifically to die for His people. He came to die for sinners like you and like me. He also, how, how is His death different? He conquered death Himself. And He was risen from the dead. Also, Jesus intentionally gave His life. We know that. And as He was dying for sinners. So we understand what type of love. It's a sacrificial type love. And many applications abound for us as believers of this sacrificial love that we ought to have for one another. And we'll see a few of those as we go along. But secondly, this particular and personal love. Particular and personal love. Jesus laid down His life for who? For His friends. Were we always His friends? I mean, we could call Jesus a friend of sinners. He says, um, you are my friends. Christians. He was not always a friend to us. We were not always a friend to God. Scripture is clear on that. He died to save sinners who were hostile to Him, who had hatred towards Him until He saved us. As Romans says, and I reference this often, good reminder for us, chapter 5, I'll just read it for you. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, We were enemies, but we were reconciled to God. We know that everyone in here is either a friend of God or an enemy of God. Here in John 15, Jesus is speaking to friends. He calls them friends. He says to them that one cannot have a greater love for them than to die for them. Leon Morris says, Jesus gives everything, even life itself, for others. There is no greater proof of love. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Similar to what we studied in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. 
Jesus says. And we say, what does the good shepherd do? Well, the scripture tells us right there in chapter 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus lays down his life on behalf of his friends, in place of his friends, propitiation, atonement, and sacrificially for his friends. He gave up his life. And Galatians 3 tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Oh, what love Christ has for His people. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that He lay down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This sacrificial love. And that can mean numerous things. We also find in this passage what we call definite atonement or also known as limited atonement or particular redemption. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His love for his own was not the same as his love for all. Jesus has a great love for his own. There is no Love that is comparable to that. There's a great book that covers everything related to definite atonement and then some. It's called From Heaven He Came and Sought Her. Many authors contributed to this book. It's 400 probably some odd pages. Excellent book. Leaves no stone unturned. It says this. Whatever blessings flow to the world from the cross of Christ, and they are many, there was in it its design, a great love specifically intended to rescue his own and rescue us indeed he did. There is a sweetness to this particular particular love and personal love this sweetness to this to the Christian that only the Christian only the child of God knows and it causes us to have this joy to where we want to tell others but we want to tell others biblically and we want to tell others properly But consider Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, what Paul says here. I'll read it for you, but meditate on this verse later on today. Paul says, and we could say this, I'm going to read it twice. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So as a Christian, we can say, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christian, you say that. You see that verse. You meditate upon that verse and you say, God loved me and gave himself up for me. 
Paul can say this of himself. Why? Because Paul is a Christian. You can say this of yourself if you're a Christian. Why? Because you're a Christian. He loved me and he gave himself up for me. A personal, particular, precious love that is for the child of God. It is not found in the life of the one who perishes without Christ. And when we get to chapter 17, we will see this particular love explode off the pages, even more so for us. So Christ fully saved his people from their sin when he died on the cross. Yes and amen. He made atonement for sin for only those for whom he died. A particular atonement, a full atonement, a great atonement. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It was a sacrificial love, a particular and personal love, and it's also, thirdly, a friendly love. A friendly love. How so? Well, we see this in the text. Verse 14. You are my friends, Jesus says. Consider that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We have another if statement before us once again. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Also, no longer do I call you slaves, he says. Yet, not to get confused, because Peter and Paul both refer to themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. Some translations say bondservant. Doesn't change the fact that it is the same Greek word for slave. Do loss. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In the Old Testament, Moses at his death was described as a servant of the Lord. So this fact does not change. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. God identified David as my servant. Psalm 89, verse 20. The point being, if you are a Christian this morning, Christ is your Lord, and you are indeed, do loss, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But Jesus also calls you his friend. Right here. He's not saying that we no longer are his servants, that we do not serve him as Lord. Indeed, we are to obey his commands. It says it right here, you're my friends, if you do what I command you. So in our vernacular, if I say, oh, so-and-so is my friend, but only if he does what I command him. He would say, well, he sounds like he's your servant of some way. Aha, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. What is the meaning here? Well, Richard Phillips says, 
What he does not mean is that our relationship with him is not merely one of hierarchical, hierarchy submission. Even when a friend is in a subordinate position, he is a confident companion. Confident and companion. And he continues, Jesus emphasizes the idea of our entering into his confidence and his full disclosure of his plans and practices. Jesus opens up his heart to his friends, telling us through the scriptures what he earlier confided personally to the original disciples. And as someone shared with me recently, this no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. No longer blindly obeying orders, but a friend of Christ. The second part of verse 15 makes perfect sense. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus has entrusted his disciples with his teaching, with this direct revelation that he has given them. In a similar way, Jesus has entrusted us with his teaching with the Word of God that we have, the completed canon of Scripture. Jesus opened His heart, He opened His mind, and He laid it all out for us. Here it is, as it were. Here's my heart. Now be good stewards of what He has said and obey what He has said applications for us on this. Again, where much is given, much is required. We must be good stewards of His words. Being good stewards to know His words, to follow His words, and to tell others of His words. That is being a good steward of it. To know, to follow, to tell others. Secondly, Jesus entrusted his teachings, his heart, as it were, to those who would treasure it. To those who would treasure his word. And as an application for us, for a application for our relationships with one another, we consider friends, true friends. Have people you can trust with your heart and your words that will treasure the information that you share and will not share the information of the treasure that you have given to them. They will treasure what you share and they will not share your treasured words with others. True friends, trusted confidants, companions and friends. And there's a time when sharing His Word, or to be good stewards of His Word, follow His Word, share His Word, know His Word, 
But there's a time specifically when we are proclaiming the gospel or explaining the gospel to someone when we begin to cast pearls before swine. And we have to be discerning in that. When someone is openly hostile to the Word of God time and time and time again, we take a step back and we say, God, we need, I need you to deal with this situation. He calls us His friends, gives us His words, so that we may know the mind of Christ. And so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. He calls us friends. Also, this is a fifth application. We can have access to the throne of grace. Anytime, any place, wherever we are, whatever we're going through. You know the phrase, my door is always open to you. Well, his heart is always open. His arms are always open. His ears are open to the cries of his people. Day or night, mountaintop or valley, this friend of sinners, Christ Jesus the Lord. A sacrificial love. It is a, also a particular love and a personal love. A friendly love towards his people. It's also an electing love. Fourthly, an electing love in verse 16. It's very clear here in the scripture. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Once again, in the Gospel of John, we see this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Okay, let's look at this a little bit at a time here. Remember when, how Jesus responded when he was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law in Matthew chapter 22? Well, Jesus responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as your Self. We are to love the Lord because He first loved us. We are to love our neighbor, specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because every single one of them is so easy for us to love. We are to love our fellow brethren in a way of showing our love for Christ. We ask, would Christ have us scorn, shun, neglect, ignore our fellow brothers and sisters because of some man-made presupposition that we come up with? Loving one another requires the putting off and the putting on. Colossians. Paul tells us, such as putting off envy and contempt and putting on love and respect 
and goodwill towards one another. J.C. Ryle says, The weakest, the lowest, the most ignorant, and the most defective disciples are not to be despised. All are to be loved with an active, self-denying, self-sacrificial love. He that cannot do this or will not try to do it is disobeying the command of his master. First John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So again, we have a command to obey, in verse, and in verse 16, Jesus follows up with a clear statement of sovereign grace and salvation, and that's where we are right now. You do not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit. Now, is this true of the eleven disciples of Jesus, that he was speaking to here? Absolutely, yes it is. Absolutely. He did not, they did not choose Him. He, he chose them. And He appointed them to go and bear fruit. Is this true of, of you and me, Christian, this morning? Yes, indeed. He chose us, appointed us, that we would go and bear fruit. The word choose is where we get the word from the Greek, uh, where we get the word election from. Not November election, election according to the scripture. Which is taught clearly throughout the Bible. Ephesians 1.4, I'll just give you a few examples. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's the responsibility for us, to walk in them. And this go and bear fruit is present, active. Keep on going and keep on bearing fruit. It sounds like a reminder of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples. Remember what he said to to the fishermen, to Simon, and to others. He says, do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought them boats to land, they left everything and followed him. As an application for us, isn't that indeed the case in our lives? To when God saves us. And there's things we just have to leave behind. Whether it be a profession whether it be supposed friends that usually will leave us behind first, once they find out you're a Christian, they want nothing to do with you. Or they'll mock you for a little bit, see, how the, see if this thing is real. And then slowly, one by one, they'll start peeling off, fading out, because they weren't real friends to begin with. And now that you are a friend of Christ, They want nothing to do with you. Not always the case. Praise God for that. We still have that influence on the lost. But there's things we just have to leave behind that we want to leave behind when God calls us to follow Him. And then there are other things that we try to carry with us. It's like holding a bundle of stuff. We leave a bunch behind and we still have these things and we we walk with it a while and things just keep falling off falling off. We don't want that anymore. 
We want to follow Christ. We want to keep our hand to the plow. The doctrine of election should remind us of the fact that we are not saved by works. We're not saved by being a good person. We're not saved by coming to church. We're not saved by being a long-standing member or associate in a church. Saved by grace alone. And we are appointed to be set apart. Everyone who was chosen by God in eternity past and called through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who responds in repentance and faith, are set apart. Set apart for the gospel to be a proclaimer of it in whatever avenues God has you. Set apart to bear much fruit. For faith without works is dead faith. Set apart to walk in the light, to leave the darkness behind. You have been rescued, Christian, from darkness. Does your life look like it? Does your life show that indeed you're no longer in darkness? Does your life look like you are walking in the light? Or does it look just like the world and those around you and participate in the same thing that the world has for the people of the world that should not even be named among a Christian? This fruit that would remain. And it's... No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, I've been walking with the Lord, I think, since 2007. Wait a minute. 2004. January 2004. And things still remind you of your old life at times. There'll be certain songs that remind you. This beat, whatever I'm hearing now, Maybe some of you hear it, maybe some of you don't. It better not be in the church down the thing, but it's somewhere. Reminds me of my old life and what I used to participate in. Where I would not step foot in that any longer. It was a great Puritan John Bunyan who said, If my life is, is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me. And if my life is fruitful, it doesn't matter who criticizes me. Again, John Bunyan, if my life is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me. And if my life is fruitful, it does not matter who criticizes me. Christian, you will be criticized for walking the walk that Christ has called you to. As many of us know, and we'll say yes and amen, and that happens all the time. But there's those who say I'm a Christian and they do not face any persecution at all. And no hostility from the world. That's a problem. That is a big problem. With your profession of faith. So it's a sacrificial love. It's a particular and personal love. It is a friendly love. It is a electing love. And it is a communicating love. Fifthly, it is a communicating love. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is a subjunctive here. He may give to you. But it, nevertheless, this is the third time in, his, in the farewell discourse of the Lord that Jesus makes an almost identical promise about prayer. Look at 14, verse 13. 
Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Right after that, though, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So in chapter 14, we see prayer connected with the works that God has given us to do after salvation, the things that we do for the Lord. Prayer connected to that. In chapter 15, verse 7, we find prayer connected with abiding and remaining in Christ and this answered prayer. And here in verse 15, we find our prayer connected with election and our appointment to go and bear fruit. Therefore, as we know, prayer is a privilege for the Christian, but it is also a duty. It is also a duty for the believer. What means does God use primarily in our lives? When we see repetition in Scripture, it's for our emphasis. It's for us to pay attention. We pray to him because we love him. We pray to him out of obedience to him. We pray to him because we need him. And we pray to him, our great God, because without him, we can do nothing. And then this section in verse 17 is sandwiched with the other part. He says again, Jesus says, This I command you that you love one another. Not only is prayer emphasized, but also love. The emphasis, again, because we're prone not to love as we ought to love one another. What is to follow Christ? What is service to Christ without love? It is self-righteousness. Saying, I'm doing this for Christ, but have no love in it, self-righteousness. What is evangelism without prayer and without love? It is going in the arm of the flesh, winning arguments, but losing the person. And in our interactions with one another, believers, we can talk a good game. We can put on a good show. But it is, is our love for our fellow Christian genuine? It was Spurgeon that said, Friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. And as we consider that, we consider what John says. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and then 1 John chapter 4. Again, this sacrificial love no greater love knows no man than this than one would lay down his life for his friends. It's a sacrificial love. It is a particular love and a personal love. It is a friendly love for his people. It is an electing love and it is a communicating love. God communicates to us through his word. We communicate to God through prayer. 1 John chapter 2, 15-17. Notice the contrast 
We consider what we just studied and right here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. The ways of the world, really, the, the age, this age, do not love this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, first, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So the cravings of the body, the coveting and hunger for more, and thirdly, the self-dependence and self-glorification. That is of the world. And we're commanded not to love these things. One is either a friend of God or a friend of the world. That is the question everyone must reconcile with here this morning. James says in chapter 4, verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is indeed hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're to be in the world, not of the world, Christian. We're to influence the world. The world will influence us. And then the contrast, 1 John chapter 4. We consider God who loved us. Christ who calls us friends. And how we are to love one another with genuine, robust, beautiful love for one another. For our brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically. Verse 7 of 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him. There's that word again. Abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. That's another question for everyone in here. You either have the Spirit of God residing in you, or you do not. Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. We see the emphasis. We see the repetition. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. 
Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. This love, sacrificing ourselves for other Christians, putting their needs ahead of our own. Are we truly loving one another without ulterior motives? Without seeking to be noticed by one another? Without seeking to have that pat on the back? That praise? Without self-righteousness? That is our aim. Is to have a biblical love. A genuine love for one another. Let's pray. Oh God, how great a love you have shown us by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we know, oh God, that that is true today for anyone in here who would, who would bow the knee to Jesus, who would trust in Christ today, who would want to say that they love God and they don't want to be an enemy of God any longer. That they realize their sin before a holy God and they realize that Christ came to die, to go to the cross, to die for sinners, to pay their debt in full, to pay atonement, full atonement can it be. Oh, indeed, Lord, thank you. What a Savior. What a Savior that rose from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. What a Savior that ascended on high and will return. That ascended on high and is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for His people. And as we serve You, O God, You, Jesus, call us also, You call us Your friends. Indeed, what a love. God, as we consider that love, as we meditate upon that love, as we would go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 in our day today, as we would repeat that scripture, that you died for me, O Lord, we then ask, how then shall we live? We indeed must love our brother and sister in Christ with a robust, genuine, biblical love that is obvious to them, that we care for them, and obvious for us that they care for us. Thank you, Lord, that some of us are benefiting from such love and that you are growing us in some ways in that. We pray that you would overflow with that in our lives, that we would be the most loving people on the planet for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray.